say goodbye to the food police, and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita, and let's begin. Hi there. Welcome to this PCOS bonus episode of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And this begins a three-part series that I put together for you, those of you who are affected by PCOS, or maybe you don't even know what PCOS is, but I have a feeling you know someone who is affected by PCOS. And I've been working with women with PCOS for, I think it's like close to 10 years, maybe even a little bit more now. I've kind of lost track because I'm having so much fun. And hundreds of women have helped me to understand the condition because of course I don't experience it. But what I've been able to put together is that diets don't work. And what I'm gonna be sharing with you today are the three worst diets for PCOS. And I'm looking at you keto and Weight Watchers, you better watch out because I am going to be sharing with you all of the reasons why. In the end, these are not positive choices for those of you affected by PCOS. This bonus episode is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. So if you've listened to the podcast for a while now, you know that I have this course that I open enrollment for a few times a year, and I'm going to have enrollment opened January 25th in just a week from today, if you're listening to when this podcast episode is being released. And this is a course that helps those of you with PCOS who are at diet rock bottom. Is that you? Oh, it happens to so many people affected by this condition. And it's a 12-step digital, all-downloadable system that you can go at your own pace. And you can get on the wait list so you can find out all the details and be the first to be able to enroll by going to PCOSandFoodPeace.com. And if you enjoyed this bonus episode, would you leave this podcast a rating or review? You know, I don't know why, but the iTunes algorithms, we are like totally intrigued with the mystery of them. But one thing we've been able to put together is that the more ratings and reviews or shares and subscriptions, the more people are able to find the podcast. So one thing I know is I think everyone should be able to feel at home in their own skin today. I think that's like everyone's birthright. So the way to do that is to be able to leave a rating or review. So if you can do that, I'd be greatly appreciative. So let's go ahead and get to the three worst diets for PCOS. If you are watching, you will now see me jump behind the slides. If you're listening, well, no slides, but you can probably picture them. (laughs) And if you also, if you wanna actually watch the video, you can do that by also going to pcosandfoodpeace.com. You'll get connected to the videos as well. All right, let's get to it. I think it's important for us to talk about the primary treatment for PCOS. Really, this is the problem with the current treatment methods for PCOS. I really do think this keeps all of 
all of you who are affected by PCOS and not feeling energized and not feeling well, this is one of the big reasons. We all know we've been taught to treat PCOS with diets. It's the one thing that the doctor or the nurse or the dietitian or maybe even your therapist will bring up. They will bring it up every single time because it is conventionally known as the primary treatment for PCOS. But diets don't work. Or do they? Well, I'm going to leave you hanging for a second because first we're going to go over specifically what this training is going to cover. So we're going to go over why popular diets won't help your long-term health. That is key. Lots and lots of diets will seem like they work in the beginning, and even short-term research will show some possibility of improvements. But when we look long-term, which the key is, is two years out or more, diets don't work. And I did pick the big three. I picked low-calorie, Weight Watchers and Keto. I feel like those are the three right now that so many people are really into to treat PCOS. So I really wanted you to walk away with three, and I feel like they're different enough as well. And there's some other diets out there that I'm not gonna be mentioning just to like help us not be here all day long. (laughs) But there's some other diets that can kind of go into keto. Like keto can also include low carb type of diets. You'll get the same kind of information. So I'm hoping you can relate it to maybe any other diet you're currently on or have tried before. All right, it's confession time. I... Julie Duffy Dillon was once a diet pusher. Yes, it's true. I have to owe up to it. There was a time where I helped people choose a diet and I helped them monitor it and I cheered for them when they lost weight. For three years, I was a dietitian who did this. And I actually even worked with kids, families. I mean, you name it. I worked with lots of different people. But I quickly learned that diets don't work and they made people sicker and more ashamed. How did I kind of figure this out? Well, as I was working with all these different types of people, I kind of noticed a trend, especially when I worked with families, that when people were meeting with us, they'd meet with us for a few times, and by us, I I mean a team of doctors and dietitians, and they would come back to see us a couple times, and when they came back, their weight usually was going up instead of down. And after that, people wouldn't come back anymore. Every once in a while, there would be one or two people out of hundreds that would come back and lose weight. And I think we kind of clung to them as the rule, not the exception. But honestly, after you see this over and over again, it's really important to question it. Maybe it's not other people. Maybe it's actually we providers. And I started to do that. And it made me really dive into research. And As I did that, it made me want to dive even more than I could do on my own. And so it led me to pursue a master's master's degree in mental health counseling. And the whole reasoning behind that for me, that crazy venture to quit my job and go back to school, something I thought I would never, ever do, was that I really want to understand food behavior and I want to help, help people really make changes. So as I got done with that degree, 
I became known as this food behavior expert and I got really into things like food habituation and deprivation. You know, those are kind of nerdy words that we use in um, food behavior research. And that's when I also got really interested in working with eating disorders. And as a person works in eating disorders, there's a special credential that you can get um, helping a person be a certified eating disorder specialist. It takes about 2,000 hours of supervised practice. And I became one of those people. And now I supervise other dietitians who are learning how to work with eating disorders as well. But that made me someone that was really looking at the super big picture. So when we look at any kind of eating plan or diet, whatever you want to call it, on the surface, it may seem that it's going to be super helpful, but it's really important to take a step back. And when you take a step back as a food behavior expert, we look at all of the different variables And that's what I want to help you do as you're sorting through what's the next best step with your food choices. All right, so let's get to it. I am so excited to dive into the three worst diets for your PCOS. Are you ready? I certainly am. Let's start with low calorie. Okay, you may be wondering why I picked this one. Well, low calorie is not like super sexy right now, but it is really the probably the most common. And when I work with women with PCOS, they often talk about as their first diet was some kind of variation of cutting out calories somehow. And I'm not one to name a lot of calories because I don't see it working. Honestly, that's kind of giving you the answer off the bat. But um, but really, honestly, counting calories, I hear lots of numbers that are normal. And a lot of women with PCOS are told to keep their calories below 1,500 or 1,200 or oh, even less than 1,000. That is dreadful. And there's a reason why you may notice it, be, it works in the beginning, meaning like the first few times you try it, you may be like, oh my gosh, I'm actually losing weight. And then something happens you try it again, or you try it a little harder and it's not working anymore. Uh, Or the scale is actually going up instead of down. Or maybe you're doing a low calorie diet with a friend and you're even making the meals together. You're eating the same thing and moving the same, but your friend is losing 10, 20 pounds and you're maybe losing a pound. I have a feeling there's a lot of people who are listening who can totally relate to that. And here's why that happens with PCOS. It happens with people without PCOS, but it happens to you even quicker and more significantly. And here's why. Reducing calorie level below a certain point with PCOS just promotes something called inflammation. Now, you may have heard of inflammation before. Inflammation is kind of a buzzword right now, but basically inflammation is a really important process that our body does to help it heal. And what it's trying to heal is this thing called oxidation. Oxidation is how we use our air that we breathe and the food that we eat to stay alive and have energy and all that stuff. Well, when we our body does all those processes, it has byproducts and then our body has to get rid of it. And that is like a cycle, you know, picture kind of a cycle going around and around. But that oxidation type of process leads to things like rust. And I don't know if you have an old bike or an old car that has lots of rust on it because it's been out in the rain so many times. And you know those really old pickup trucks? You know, I grew up in Ohio out in the near the country. And so I remember seeing lots of old pickup trucks sometimes out in the country with big old rust holes. Well, picture oxidative stress that's going just 
on all the time. If someone's in a very stressful environment for many different reasons, that causes these rust kind of holes. And inflammation is the process that tries to patch up that hole to help smooth it over. And having PCOS, especially the PCOS that's not being treated very well, it leads to even more oxidative stress. And what low-calorie diets do is it sets off more oxidative stress, so then there's even more inflammation. And so when our body has to work really hard to fix those holes, you know, again, picture that rust kind of pickup truck, you know, if if your body was like that, um, you know, it takes so much energy to do that. And our body uses certain type of essential fatty acids, like omega-3s, to fix these holes. And so I don't know about you, but so many women with PCOS that I talk to are complaining of being tired all the time. And not just a little tired, but I can't get out of bed tired. And this is one of the reasons. So low-calorie diets, all they do is really enhance that cycle. So that's why for you, if you tried it once or twice, it may have quote unquote worked, but then when you tried it again or kept doing it longer term, it stopped working because it threw that oxidative stress for a loophole and increased inflammation. And I can't really go into it just because of the nature of time, but with that inflammatory process, what happens to your body is it increases insulin levels, which I know you're already aware of insulin with PCOS. It's such a common part of it. But when a person's insulin levels are really high, it's like a growth hormone. You can't, weight can't come down. And, you know, after I spoke to 10 or 20 or 30 women with PCOS those first few years, and I heard how little they were eating at first, actually the first few people, I I just thought maybe they were fibbing. I thought maybe they're stretching it a little bit and they weren't actually being honest with me with how much they're eating. But after 10, 20, 30 women are saying the same thing and they're cutting their calorie levels dangerously low and they're not losing weight, well, I think it's really important for us to believe you, you know? And and honestly, not many people talk about this, but in a training to become a dietitian and many other healthcare providers, we're trained to not believe what people tell us about what they're eating. There's lots and lots of consistency with that. And it took me a, a number of years to really Uh, move away from that practice. It's really important for me and for anyone that works with you to really listen and believe what you're saying. And I believe you when you're saying that you're cutting calories or anything else out and it's not working. And honestly, the research backs you up. If you're interested in this kind of research, Tracy Mann and her, she spells her last name with two M's, um, or two N's rather, it's M-A-N-N, Look into her research, and actually she has a really great book called Secrets from the Eating Lab. She goes into how um, cutting calories too low is something that sets off that inflammation response and prevents weight from going down long-term. And when I say too low, it's below that 1,500 calorie mark. And so for so many people, that's what they think that they need to eat in order to be quote-unquote healthy. And long-term research just does not support it. And what does research show in a nutshell, you know, using Tracy Mann's research or anyone else's, is that at the two-year mark, so if you started a low-calorie eating plan and you did it for two years, 80 to 95% of you will have regained it all back. I have a feeling that's happened to you before, has it? (laughs) And one-third 
to two-thirds of you have regained even more. All right, well, I think it's time to move on, but I hope you can feel rest assured that low calorie diets just don't work. And honestly, they don't work for anyone, not just PCOS, but I think with PCOS, it really is setting you up to encourage more inflammation and long-term promote weight gain, not weight loss. So let's go on to the next one. Maybe the keto one will be a little bit more favorable. It certainly is more sexy, right? I feel like the keto plans are very hot right now. If you scroll through any of the podcasts under health and nutrition, alongside my Love Food podcast, there are tons of keto ones. And honestly, seeing all of them, it led me to be curious. I'm like, what is this keto thing? And in a nutshell, it's a it's a low carb, high fat, and also very low in protein way of eating. And one thing that no one thing I know to be true is after working with hundreds and hundreds of women with PCOS, you just need more protein. So that's one of the things that's a red flag for me with the keto plan. I really do think having PCOS, you just need more protein. And doing a keto type of diet plan, you're gonna be missing out. So what does that mean? Well, all that insulin level stuff that I was talking about with a low calorie diet plan, well, those high circulating insulin having more protein helps to lower that naturally. And I call it a strategic protein plan. It's it's something that I encourage people to experiment with when they have PCOS is to allow themselves to enjoy more protein and see where it can help. And what many people find is if they strategically increase their protein in certain spots without eliminating anything else, it helps to energize them. And what we know is that helps to lower protein levels. So off the bat, that's one of the reasons why I have really turned my nose up to the keto. But I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something. And I looked at the research. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of keto research in PCOS. There may be some currently going on, but at this point, there's no published research for me to find. Just anecdotal type of stuff. And short-term studies with keto diets show some great results, kind of quote unquote results. You know, short term, and I don't know if you know this, but short term diet studies are four to six weeks long. So just a month to a month and a half. And so short term, they show some lower cholesterol and triglycerides and insulin. And I don't know about you, but I can do a lot of things just for a month. And what about longer term? Well, long term studies in nutrition research are 12 to 16 weeks doesn't that give you pause? Like long-term is just three to four months. That is not a lifetime. That is not a year. That is nothing. I also think many of you can do things for three to four months. That is not a big deal at all. And those longer-term studies, well, what do they show? They show that they possibly can help people keep off five to 10% of their starting body weight. So if a woman is 250 pounds and loses 5%, that brings it down to 238 pounds. And when keto plans are looked at at the two-year mark, which honestly, as a food behavior expert, two to five years out is really what you wanna look at. If you're researching any diet, look two to five years out because 
if it is not that far out, that is not long-term enough in my book because 99% of anything you're going to read about dieting is at the two-year mark. It's going to start showing, this is a fancy word, like an increased trajectory in weight gain. And what I that says to me is like if they kept following a little bit further, they would have even shown a more of an increase in weight. So there is one research study that I found looking at a keto type of plan. And again, that's low carb, high fat kind of plan and showed that people were able to keep, and my people, that was very vague. It was like some of the uh, participants were able to keep 5% of the weight off. And the reason why it's vague, well, there's a high attrition rate. So these types of studies, a lot of people drop out and it's not always mentioned why. And I know why. It's hard to do a keto type plan or actually any kind of diet long-term. If a person is doing this type of diet plan, they're not able to just go and eat a big salad and have a birthday cake with their friend or even either one of those without really thinking about it because they have to micromanage every single tiny glucose molecule that's going in their mouth. And did you know like lettuce and cucumbers have glucose in them? Oh my gosh. So it's not really livable. It's not sustainable. And that's the other beef that I have with keto. It's not sustainable for the majority of people. And you know what? I appreciate there may be someone listening who's saying, no, but the keto worked great for me. I was able to do it. Well, you know what I know to be true is that it's going to work for somebody But for 80 to 95% of people who start any diet at the two-year mark, they regained all the weight. And even people who are researching specifically the keto plan, they were showing that they were able to um, keep off 5% at the two-year mark. So again, what does that mean? That's for a woman who's 250 pounds, her weight is around 238. Yet the trajectory is showing it's still increasing. So there hasn't been any research to monitor it further out. It'd be really interesting to see, but I think I can predict it because if we look at three years out, I have a feeling it's going to be 2%. And then when you look at five years out, it's going to be they regained more because that's how every single diet study has been concluded that's looked more than two years out. So in the end, Keto may initially make a change, but long-term, it's going to promote weight gain too, just like the low calorie. And here's the thing. I want you to feel like you can spend time with other people around food without having to micromanage your food. I basically want you to live without an eating disorder. Honestly, I want no one to have an eating disorder. And in order to quote unquote successfully follow a keto plan, you basically have to practice an eating disorder. And that is not healthy. Eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. So I'm just not going to give the stamp of approval on the keto diet plan either. All right. It's time to get to the biggest offender of all. That's right. Weight Watchers is the biggest offender. And do you know why? Well, they are the biggest manipulators of the body positive language that those of us who have been working in for the last 10 or 20 years, and of course, there's many people who've been doing this longer than that, um, we've been working really hard to find words and language to help people heal their relationship with their body. And Weight Watchers has totally taken it as their own. And they have said that their plan is not a diet, 
but they're watching their weight because it's in the it's in the title. They're Weight Watchers. So if weight is being watched, it's still a diet. But Weight Watchers is still similar to the low calorie meal plan. I actually think Weight Watchers, not only because it's manipulative, I think it is the worst for PCOS. And one of them, the reasons why it's the worst is because it's so easy to come across. You know, I feel like every bigger company has a Weight Watchers meeting happening. Every hospital has like a Weight Watchers club and you can do it online. Even Oprah's doing it. And so it's easily, it's very accessible. And what Weight Watchers does not do for PCOS, Weight Watchers does not encourage any protein consumption. And so it basically ends up being a low calorie diet, even though their point system keeps shifting around and I'm trying to stay up on how they do everything. When it comes down to it, they're still encouraging low fat and low calorie and now even like a low carb, but they're still not encouraging more protein. And again, I think you just need more protein than everybody else. I don't think you should cut out carbs. I don't think you should cut out fat. I don't think you should monitor your calories. I just think you need more protein than everybody else. And so what I see happening with Weight Watchers, and if you've tried it before, I wonder if you can relate to this. I have found that women that I talk to with PCOS will go to Weight Watchers meetings with a friend. And their friend and... um the two of them will plan their meals together. They'll exercise together. They may even be on the same amount of points. But friend loses 10 pounds in a month and my client or friend with PCOS maybe loses a pound or gains weight. And it's so frustrating. And it's what led me to really dig into why isn't Weight Watchers working, especially when I was a diet pusher. And that led me to Tracy Mann's research, which basically showed me how lowering calorie levels, especially with the amount of points that so many women with PCOS get on Weight Watchers, it ends up making that cycle of oxidative stress and chronic inflammation just so much more excruciating, excruciating, <laughs> excruciatingly, I still don't know if that's correct, but I hope you know what I'm saying. It makes it really painful. It makes it exhausting. And I know you can relate to that. There's so much fatigue associated with PCOS. And I think it's going to happen sometimes. And I do think fatigue is one of the, the ways that your body communicates an unmet need. But it, when you do move away from diets, that fatigue will move away too. Because that fatigue, part of why it's so excruciatingly painful is because your body is trying so hard to fill those rusty holes and it's so draining. And if you could just help your body to not add so many holes, then it can heal the other parts of um, PCOS. So one more thing I want to note about Weight Watchers that I think is very interesting, because you've heard me say that in the today's training and even the, the first video training that 80 to 95% of folks who do a diet will regain all the weight at the two-year mark, the two to five-year mark. Well, the reason why I say 80 to 95%, I used to just say 95%. The reason why I say the two different ones now is because a couple of Weight Watcher studies. So did you know that Weight Watchers has studied their diet plans throughout the years? And what they have found is that 20% of folks are able to keep the weight off at the two-year mark. Yeah, 20%, huh? So 80% can't, and they know this. They know this like this has securely been established in their research, and that's much better numbers than all the other diet research out there. 
you know, it, we have had researchers that have gleaned through the numbers of hundreds of research studies. And most of the time they see closer to that 95% mark for weight regain at the two-year mark. Just so happens that Weight Watchers in their own studies that they're funding themselves, theirs is 80%. I say it like that with a little bit of sarcasm because, I mean, come on, there's going to be a little bias. Even if they try really hard to not be biased about it, it's paying their mortgage and keeping their company doors open. So of course, they're going to want it to be successful. And even when they're doing it themselves, (laughs) only 20% able to keep it off long term. Do you know any other like medical device any product, any medicine that is legal or stays in business that only works for 20% of people. Yeah, not much will last, right? Not much would last at all. And, And yet Weight Watchers is the most commonly recommended diet plan because it's so freaking successful. That doesn't make sense to me. So I think we really should expect more out of science and medical providers and people like me that are healthcare providers, you really deserve a recommendation that's going to show that it's health-promoting long-term. So you may be asking, well, Julie, what plan is better? What should I actually do then? If you're saying that these diets and many of them like them, and actually I will say any diet or lifestyle change that you put out there, it's not going to work long-term. If it does, well, let's put some research behind it because you're going to be a bazillionaire because it's finally going to actually work. There hasn't been any yet. So what should you do? Like So many people are like, well, Julie, if I'm not dieting, I don't know how to eat. I've been dieting since I've been like preschool. Well, what you want to do is you want to make sure that how you're eating is something that actually feels good. And I mean that in so many different ways. Not only does it feel good, meaning like it tastes good, but do you actually like feel energized by how you're eating? Is it something that is the opposite of agony? Because I feel like, especially like those low carb, low glycemic index type of plans, for many, many people will feel like agony, especially in the beginning. That's a big clue. (laughs) That's not okay. And any type of eating plan should feel like I'm getting energy from it because that's what food is really for. That's one of the main reasons. The other reason why we eat, and this is something that goes across cultures and throughout time, is food is a great connector. It connects us to our family, our friends, our culture, our religion. And so any kind of eating plan or style of eating that you're doing, I would encourage you to pick something that it allows you to still connect with family and friends. Like you don't have to second guess whether or not you can go out to dinner with someone based on where they're going, that you can make it work. Because really something that is going to be healthy long-term would allow you that kind of flexibility. And then lastly, if you're considering any kind of meal plan, make sure it's sustainable through research and your own evidence. And you know, there's five to maybe 20% of people who some of these diet plans will work long-term for them. So maybe through your own research, it works for you. Well, that's great. But I think the majority of people that I'm speaking to are the majority, you know, the people who try and try and try and try and try and try some more these diet plans and they just haven't worked yet. And so that means through your own evidence, they don't work. And I also think it's not your fault. Like we know, and the diet companies know, their diets don't work for most people long-term. It's just legitimately been established. And Tracy Mann and her research, she often talks about 
in the research world, you know, when they all get together and have their little nerdy conventions, they are talk- not talking about like, do diets work or not? What they're talking about is how long does it take for people to regain the weight from the diet? And one thing I've learned from the research is that the number one predictor of weight gain is dieting. And the more one diets, the more they gain, which I know that sounds the opposite of what it should be like, but that's what the evidence has shown us. And I also think if you are one of those people that I was talking about earlier that's tried and tried and tried and tried, that's probably your own evidence as well. And until now, I have a feeling you just thought it was your own fault. It's not your fault. It totally is not your fault. So I hope you've really let that sink in, that you've been given the wrong tools. And none of this really tough experience with PCOS is your fault. You may be wondering, what the heck do I do then? You know, if I'm not supposed to be dieting, how do I promote health? How do I feel better? How do I take care of myself with PCOS if I'm not dieting? You may also be wondering, if I move away from diets, does that mean I'm letting myself go? No, it's letting yourself be. It's not throwing in the towel. It's not giving up. I actually call that a cognitive distortion, total psychobabble for black and white thinking that is totally a part of many of us um, and the way our brain is just wired in today's society. So my next bonus episode of the Love Food Podcast is going to be going over my top five tips to promote health with PCOS. I can't wait to share it with you. This episode was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. Enrollment will be opening up in just one week from when this episode is released, January 25th. I would love to see you on the wait list so you can get all the details. And you will also get the next two bonus episodes of the Love Food Podcast that are all on PCOS delivered right to your email inbox. So you can go to it. Um, you can get on the wait list rather at PCOSNFoodPeace.com. All right, enough of that. I will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.